It's every election ever and beer. Guys, we're back. We are back. How Woo! are you? I'm ready. Let's get this going. You know, I'm ready too. And, you know, in, in full candor today, I have switched it up a bit. I'm going macro brew. All right. Uh, that's not really switching it up for you. <laughs> no, no, I'm a macro brew guy. You are. <laughs> Eddie is not going macro brew. He's going the micro of microest brews. Uh, are we sure about that? I don't think he has his Jefferson beer ready yet. Not yet. Not yet. It's. Oh, um... man. I... My bad, my bad. He's got more time for it to ferment, I think. I think that's what they call it. It's going to work out perfectly, though, because after Jefferson's second term, he goes back to Monticello. He brings a famous brewer to his house. He learns how to brew, and so we're going to be drinking the Thomas Jefferson beer right about the time that Thomas Jefferson was at Monticello making it. Very, very cool. That's interesting. And little known fact, that guy's name was George Budweiser. <laughs> that's, that's great. So what are you drinking, Scott? Budweiser. <laughs> that is so relatable. That's why I said that's great. <laughs> I'm going king of beers today, guys. Is that because you heard Madison wore a white tank top around the White House when he was president? Uh, <laughs> no, but had I heard that, it may have influenced me. Well, my beer, and thanks for asking, Scott, is, I'm a little scared of this, honestly. It is by Stone Brewing, and it is called Arrogant Bastard Ale. I think aptly named for any president. Nice. So have you, tr- have you tried it yet? Uh, no. No, I haven't. I don't try oh. my beer until the show, so to, to create suspense. Make sure you oh, let gotcha. us know how much you don't like it. Of course, and I'm also violating your rule because I'm drinking it out of a can. <laughs> oh, because you got to pour it into a glass. I usually don't drink enough to pour it into a glass. That activates the carbonation. Well, again, I know nothing about beer, so that explains it. You know, I'm with Matt on this one. I- I'm-, I'm activating the carbonation in my stomach. <laughs> His stomach ferments the beer. I see that. I'll tell you what, Eddie, while you talk about your beer, I'll go grab a glass that I won't use to drink this beer from. Okay, all right. I have a beer, th- I have a beer that actually uh, goes along great with what Scott is drinking. Weird, but okay. Scott is drinking Budweiser. I have an old speckled hen English fine ale. I love it. Which relates how? This is imported from the United Kingdom. But if it were 1808, I would have to drink a Budweiser with Scott because nobody would be allowed to import the old speckled hen from England. Oh, gotcha. And I'm sure Scott planned that. (laughs) Absolutely. What were you thinking, arrogant bastard? Like you just didn't happen to have Bud in your fridge. (laughs) I had to wash this one off. It had had that, that, that disgusting sticky stuff on it from like 10 years ago. (laughs) <laughs> you know that's left over from the last party you were allowed to have <laughs> exactly the last hall pass so it's the the election of 1804 today correct no we did that last week 1808 <laughs> in fairness you fell asleep during the last episode <laughs> listen guys that was awesome that was it, it was only only because i was so exhausted from family obligations from last week uh, didn't really bring much to the game, to, per se, so I'm back. Don't sell yourself short. You were good. But, by the way, if you haven't listened to all the shows, go back and listen to this last one, and you'll hear crickets in the background after we ask Scott a question near the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's why so the as show far is as I'm concerned... Called, that's why the show is not called Every Election Ever and Beers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Scott, you can only have one beer from now on per show. Needless to say, it was a um, it was not a good show for Scott. I mean, other than maybe catching a couple intermittent snoozes. No, no, you did good. And actually, next time you can just say you had a Nyquil because that does have alcohol in it too. That's great. <laughs> so it's eighteen oh eight, Eddie. Election of eighteen oh eight. What do we need to know? All right, yeah, let's do it. James Madison father of the constitution yeah i heard that and there's also a little something called the federalist papers he helped write yes he was the author of several of those as well i am a huge james madison fan so this is going to be fun and this is a great and interesting election even though it's been you know 
put into obscurity basically by him. We don't we don't go around talking about the election of 1808, but it is fantastically interesting. You know, I am really interested in this because one of the things I was thinking about today is after Jefferson, I really don't know much about the presidents. I know who they are, obviously, but I don't remember much about their campaigns or their administrations really down into Lincoln. So after Jefferson, there's kind of a gap in knowledge for me that I'm really interested to to know more about. But before we get there, one of the things I wanted to ask at the outset, and hopefully I'm not jumping ahead, why did Jefferson decide not to run for reelection at this point? George Washington set the precedent that you run for two terms and then you hang it up. Makes sense. And we're going to see that everybody makes that same decision all the way until FDR, who decides that he's so great, he's going to need four terms. Well, that just makes sense to me. I can't wait to get to FDR. Scott's got a huge crush on him. I'm an FDR fan. I'm sorry. So Jefferson follows the precedent. He does what Washington did. He decides to step down after two terms and not seek re-election, even though, let's remember, there's nothing keeping him from doing so. That's correct. We are not going to have an amendment until after FDR that limits the president officially to uh, two terms. Anything have to do with the fact that, that you know most of these cats didn't start to later in life? So, you know, they were probably getting into some advanced age, right, Eddie? Well, Jefferson is going to live for a very long time after this. He's going to live until, um, I think he dies during John Quincy Adams' presidency, which uh, is a a few presidencies away. So Jefferson lives for a long time, but you are right that he has some pretty severe health problems happening. He's got migraines all the time. That make it impossible for him to work for, you know, like weeks at a time. He's got a serious problem with his knee. Uh, so he's he's just sort of, he's got real bad stomach problems. going to have diarrhea for the rest of his life. Something you don't learn in school, by the way. Uh, n- no, thank you. Did any of this have to do with the fact he did not want to go up against a man named Rufus? <laughs> The thought of losing to a man named Rufus turned him off. Rufus, the the name Rufus, you you can't even hear it without thinking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> that's true. I haven't thought about that, but that's, that's absolutely true. true. That's what if, I was if, thinking about. <laughs> if this were politics for patriots, I'd have a bunch of Rufus drops to play on the show. <laughs> Rufus! So was there anybody out there trying to convince Jefferson to run again, or did everyone pretty much accept the fact that he should step down? Not not really, no. Um, although, because James Madison is the Secretary of State, and he's uh, basically behind tons of the policy that's going on, uh, you know, people feel comfortable with James Madison being... Uh, the successor to Thomas Jefferson. So did the electric know that Madison was the architect of the U.S. Constitution, or are they still just in a bubble there in Washington? I would say that uh, pretty much, I I think it's pretty well known that Madison is the father of the Constitution, but at the same time, he is not a hero for that then, the way that he is now. There's still tons of people who don't like the Constitution. Really? Oh, yeah, tons. Uh, because uh, the Constitution, it's in this time, it's still sort of like the United Nations. A person doesn't think of themselves as an American. They think of themselves as a Virginian, a New Yorker, a Rhode Islander, whatever state. They feel like, that's what I am. But we're part of this United Nations that hands down decrees that we all have to follow. So uh, that's about the feeling of the United States at the time is the way that lots of people feel about the United Nations today. Mm. Is there anyone out there to challenge Madison or is he pretty much the heir apparent on the Democratic Republican side? I mean, who's in the background that would sort of want to contend for the presidency? We're going to get into that. That is going to be really the fantastically interesting part about this election. But I don't want to give that up now because okay. I want to start with um, 
what's going on in the country at this time Let's and what do the it. big okay. issue is. So we heard last time that Jefferson's first term went fantastically. As Rufus would say, bowling averages are way up and mini golf scores <laughs> are way down. That's great. Eddie Zipper, folks, straight off the cuff. <laughs> Taxes are way down. The debt is down. Uh, the Louisiana purchase was awesome. Everybody loves it. So Jefferson's first term goes amazingly, and we saw he won in a landslide in 1804. Well, I don't know mm-hmm. if Scott knows that, but the rest of us know that. <laughs> he blew out poor Charles Pickney again. One more time. Charles, take your ass whipping. Charles Pickney, the uh, Buffalo Bill- Bills of of the early elections. All right, and so uh, now we get into Jefferson's second term, and things are not going so swimmingly, okay? Because we have a big problem. There's a huge mess in Europe. The Napoleonic Wars are happening. Ah. The United States is desperately trying to stay neutral in the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, right? Uh, It's going to be impossible. What you're going to start seeing in this episode is the lead up to the War of 1812. It's going to start happening now, during Jefferson's second term. And Jefferson uh, seems like an Mm. isolationist, and maybe isolationist is the wrong word, but it seems like he's someone who is definitely war-averse, I think, at this point. Like he's almost become a pacifist, correct? I would not call Jefferson a pacifist, but uh, as a Democratic Republican, he is very anti-standing army. He very much uh, wants to stay out of these conflicts. I wouldn't go so far as to call him a pacifist. I mean, don't forget the Declaration of Independence, which says that um, when you are deprived of your life, liberty, and property, you have to remove the government. Yeah, but Adams was dictating that whole thing, right? (laughs) Well, Jefferson famously (laughs) said that the tree of liberty must be fertilized often with the blood of... Of patriots and tyrants. Well, you got me there, and I have heard that quote. And, by the way, I've seen it all over Facebook, uh, quoted. No, no, no. You see that misquoted on Facebook. That's true on every boomer's page on Facebook. (laughs) It is a true quote. That is a real Thomas Jefferson quote. So we have this war going on. War has broken out in Europe. Yes. So the natural state of the United States since its birth is neutrality in the wars between France and Great Britain. Because France and Great Britain are always at war. Uh, and since Washington, we are trying to stay neutral. Well, for good reason, too, Eddie. I mean, I mean, for good reason, because there probably wasn't a really good result that could become of the, such a young American nation getting involved in a huge war we just exited the revolutionary war which quite frankly we we won because it was on our turf yeah guerrilla warfare if we get into a navy war yeah we're toast yeah that we would be toast in a navy war right now the british um navy i think has like i'm just gonna spitball this the british navy has about 1300 ships and the United States Navy has about 13 ships. Wow. Yeah, so uh, you cannot mess with the British in a naval war for very long. Well, you can for an afternoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you could die. <laughs> and we're going to for a couple afternoons, as a matter of fact. That's all yeah. in our future right now. Hmm. So what happens is we have this uh, neutrality because it's good for business. Because if you're neutral, nobody is going to sink your merchant ships that are importing and exporting goods. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to do that. But the French and the British both violate U.S. neutrality by messing with our merchant ships. And it's the British especially. The British... We're practicing impressment, which is, I, I mean, it, impressment is a real, just horrific atrocity. What they're doing, what this impressment means, is that they stop an American ship 
and they find the U.S. sailors on the ship who were born British subjects. Because remember, anybody who's over 30 years old was born a British subject. Yeah. And by British logic, if you're born a British subject, then you are a British subject for life. So they would take these Americans off of the boat and force them to serve in the British Navy. Whoa, those have to be some good soldiers. The whole forced servitude thing. (laughs) Yeah. Right? So the British are being total a-holes in seizing our ships. Yes, and so Jefferson wants to deal with it through legislation. And that starts with the Non-Importation Act of 1806, which banned the importation of most common goods from Europe, including, but not limited to, my old speckled hen that I have in my hand right now. Which is why Scott's drinking the king of beers. Absolutely. Exactly. Beer, ale, and porter from Europe is now beer sona non grata. You can't have it. <laughs> but it doesn't go so well. Right. And it's it's kind of a crappy policy because it's a policy, oh, we got to be neutral, even though neutrality doesn't seem to be helping us very much. But to remain neutral, we have to stop all importation from Europe. And that is... So essentially, it was, it was, we, we shot ourselves in the foot with the policy. Yeah, Jefferson is going to wreck the economy. You can't take beer away from the people and expect it to go well. Right, right. I mean, it, I mean <laughs> I'm up in arms about it, and it's over 200 years later. So I'm picturing the we're out of coffee scene from Airplane, something very similar. and everybody 40 or over just got that joke which is good well it's it's funny because there's a lot of things you can do as 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 well stated in in the past you know 20 years we'll call it the modern era of of u.s politics and the 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 threshold of pain we'll call it for americans is quite high but when you start messing with your economy with their income with their ability to make money that's when people get really irate, and that's when people start to lose elections. Yeah, that's 100% true. And um, there are people in the Northeast, that's who this really affects the most, are people in the uh, New England area. That I mean, they're going to want to leave the Union altogether over this. And I would have to think that it's at least part of the strategy of the British and the French to, to not let us remain neutral in this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they are pissing all over our neutrality. I mean, if well, somebody think, is neutral, you can't just take their boats. But uh, they feel like they have to do it. Like, they justify it as, well, I mean, there's nothing else that we can do. We have to do this because our war demands it. And in, in a lot of ways, if you look at, you know, from their perspective, they too just exited a major conflict, the Revolutionary War. And they're 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 probably a little further down with available arms to 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 fight against the French. Yeah, yeah, and I mean we see that when we see that it's the same on the other side. The French just bought uh, or just sold the Louisiana territory for three cents an acre because they need that money for the wars. And if you're going to be at war this long, it is going to. Uh, I mean, it is going to burn a hole in your pocket for sure. So if this were happening now, we know that at least one side would be giving Jefferson a lot of flack for sympathizing with Napoleon. But was that happening at that time? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's tons of that happening. There's this famous cartoon of Thomas Jefferson where he's a prairie dog and he's – it's really a disgusting-looking cartoon. He's a prairie dog, and he's coughing up money to um, Napoleon. So, yeah, there's all kinds of—the uh, cartoons of Jefferson at this time are extremely unflattering. But uh, in 1807, it gets even worse. Um, in 1807, right off the coast of Virginia, a British Navy ship engages a U.S. Navy ship. So this isn't a merchant ship. This is an actual U.S. Navy ship. It's called the USS Chesapeake. You've probably heard of it. This is a a really famous story. 
when you're a kid in high school and they teach you about the War of 1812, you learn about the Chesapeake being, um, you know, one of the main lead-ups to the War of 1812. So uh, the British ship engaged the Chesapeake, and the commander of the Chesapeake surrendered. And the British held desertion trials for the men on board and actually hanged one of them. So they Ooh. hanged a U.S. sailor. Desertion as in they were born British subjects, so they were essentially accusing them of treason at that point. Yes. Gotcha. And so after that, we got a new new legislation tougher than the Non-Importation Act, which is the Embargo Act of 1807. And the Embargo Act of 1807 is a straight-up ban on trade, not just with the British, but basically every nation on Earth. This was, how was that? How was that a good policy? It was brutally economically damaging to the Northeast, and they were. I mean, that, that's, that sounds like something that, that that Elizabeth Warren would come up with. Well, that's a good point, or somebody like Bernie. My question is, whose idea was this in the first place? Did he have a Secretary of the Treasury or what? Secretary of Bad Ideas. Well, yeah, exactly. It's together with the Democratic Republicans in Congress. Because remember, only Congress can really pass the Embargo Act. But Jefferson likes it because he wants to stay neutral at all costs. He wants to stay out of a conflict at all costs. Plus, Jefferson is a a big agrarian and not um, not very concerned with uh, foreign trade, that's more a New England interest, foreign trade is. So it's not going to hurt, really, Jefferson's constituency as much. Most of the people it's going to hurt are already Federalists anyway. Needless to say, though, they got extremely unhappy with Thomas Jefferson about this. The um, lot, All the Federalists are having meltdowns over it. They hate it. There's a very famous political cartoon from that time that shows a merchant trying to get a barrel of sugar or something down to the boats. And a giant snapping turtle named Oh Grab Me is biting him on the ass. <laughs> That's great. Oh Grab Me. And the merchant says, oh, this cursed Oh Grab Me. And, of course, the name of the turtle Oh Grab Me is the word embargo backwards. Oh, love it. N needless to say, that would not go well in today's society. There's no way. That would go so far ahead over the heads of most readers <laughs> these days. I mean, it went over our heads, but that's not very hard to do. <laughs> Shut up. We'll call this episode the election of 1808, colon, oh, grab me. Colon, oh, grab me. Don't forget the colon part. That's important. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> I the embargo is partially the cause. I, I mean, the embargo plays a major role in the election of 1808. Uh, there's a major schism in the Democratic-Republican Party, really two major schisms in the Democratic-Republican Party. That's what happens when your party gets gigantic and you're winning... You know, all the electoral votes, the other sides win in 14, causes schisms yes. in your party. There's there's too many people in the coalition, and they believe different things. So There's nothing that, that, uh, that uh, brings that around for today for the Democrats, is there? Well, you think about it. I mean, not to get off the subject from the 1800s, but today's Democratic Party is trying to be so inclusive, they have no direction now. Well. I digress. I mean, they are very inclusive unless you happen to disagree with the very vocal folks on the far left, at which point they're not inclusive <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're not, um, you know, they're not ideologically inclusive. Absolutely not. And we've talked about that numerous times on our show. It's not the party of diverse thought. It's the party of diverse people. But it sounds like this party, the Democratic Republicans, was just getting so large that it attracted folks of all beliefs that really just wanted to win and have power. Yeah, it's partially that. And, you know, part of the reason of this death of the Federalist Party, one part of it is 
with George Washington gone, Alexander Hamilton gone, um, you know, basically for all practical purposes, John Adams is gone. There's just no leadership. There's no big names and no big leadership types left in this party. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. Part of it is the Alien and Sedition Acts, which left a bad taste in everybody's mouth for a very long time because we had this brand new constitution and Adams is like, you know, signing into law things that are blatantly unconstitutional. All right. So um, you have one, uh, the main Democratic Republican uh, caucus in Congress, because remember, that's who picks the presidential candidates at the time. So you have the main Democratic Republican caucus. They call it Bradley's caucus. It's made up of 89 of the 130 Republicans, and they're the ones they're going to choose as the Democratic-Republican presidential candidate as a successor to Thomas Jefferson. They're going to choose James Madison. The re- one of the big reasons that they're going to choose James Madison, there wasn't much hope of them choosing anyone else because Madison has, working on his behalf, one of the greatest lobbyists in American history who can get the Democratic caucus in Congress to do anything. And, you know, uh, getting them to choose Madison is not a challenge for her. And her name is Dolly Madison. Ooh, was not going to say that. I was about to say James Callender, actually. (laughs) Oh, did I not tell you? You remember how James Callender wrote that piece about Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings? Of course. He was found face down in the river very shortly afterward. Uh, yeah, I probably should have mentioned that. Uh, that's very, uh, very Clinton-like. Not suspicious at all. I, <laughs> well, the the coroner says no foul play, so uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Callender killed himself. It was a, it was obviously a suicide. Yeah, obviously. Time to plant my face in the mud to kill myself. <laughs> I'm drinking mud. Maybe we can get Calendar didn't kill himself to trend on Twitter. We need to do that. Absolutely. Doubtful, I'm on but it. okay. <laughs> All right, so um, Dolly Madison, if you don't know, uh, even more famously... She did one of the most famous things in all of American history, which you probably know about, which is during the War of 1812, when the British burn Washington, D.C. to the ground, and they burn the White House to the ground, she's there at the White House, and she has to evacuate. And on her way out, she saves the painting of George Washington. Oh, thank God. One of my favorite stories, Dolly Madison is one of the best characters in American history. She's like the anti-Madison. You know, she's a huge socialite. Everybody loves her. Um, she's, she's fun, and she throws these parties, and she's just the total opposite of James Madison, who is like... Um, Washington Irving said he... He was a withered little old Applejack. <laughs> so what is Dolly Madison doing to lobby Congress other than handing out her delicious homemade snack cakes? <laughs> oh, that's all you have to do, man. That's all she has to do. Um, you know, she's a socialite. So uh, the way that these things work, it's, it's very important to be liked by the socialites, to... Be friends with the, you know, whoever, she's just an important figure and everyone wants her to be their friend. Um, You know, it's really hard to explain like society life. Yes. uh, Because most of us are like normal human beings who don't live in that society life. Speak for yourself. uh, It's just super important to do what Dolly wants you to do so that she will like you. And be friends with your wife. And why is that? Did she come from an important family, or was she just that charismatic, or was it a combination? What's going on? She's just wonderful. She's not from any special family or anything like that. She's just wonderful, and 
you know, she's just got this amazing, if you just, I mean, if you even uh, Google a painting of her and you look at the painting, you can just see that, you know, she's just a person that everyone's going to like. She just has this personality that's wonderful and vivacious. So it's, a, it's like a painting of, of Matt Webb. Sounds just like that. It's the exact same thing, like literally. Yeah. I'm going to like this guy. I can't even count the number of times I've been called vivacious. You know, um, <laughs> Dolly was married before she was married to James Madison, and she had children, and they had this huge yellow fever outbreak, and all of her family died in the yellow of, of the yellow fever during that outbreak, and then Madison met her after that. The entire family died. Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, the entire family, like, so many people were dying of this that um, anytime somebody would die, I, I believe it was in Philadelphia, they would ring the church bells because someone died. Mm-hmm. And the church bells were ringing so incessantly and nonstop that they had to pass a law against ringing the church bells when people died. Uh, you could imagine it probably had a bad um of a, a bad um, psychology effect on the town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just you're just yeah. constantly hearing those damn church bells ringing in your yeah. You know, you know what it means and so yeah, I think it's uh psychologically devastating. Yes. I talked about all that off the cuff, so I hope all of the details of it are correct. I hope it was yellow fever, I hope it was Philadelphia. I think it's all correct. Don't worry, Eddie. We'll totally plan on not confirming that, so <laughs> we're all good. <laughs> Sounds like Dolly clearly wanted her husband to be president, though. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She's going to be first lady. She is going to be the first. She's going to be the person who really creates the first lady as a job. Like, this is your job as First Lady, is to entertain Washington society and to uh, be interesting and to talk to everybody and to know everybody's names and to socialize with everyone. She invents that. All right, so you have this very um, anti-Jefferson, anti-Madison group of Democratic Republicans in Congress, and they're mainly led by John Randolph. And they don't like, they're not upset about the embargo. They don't like Jefferson and Madison because they believe that Jefferson and Madison are too moderate. They're Democratic Republicans in name only. They are drinos. The dreaded drinos. That's my own term. They, people aren't using this term at the time or anything. I'll be clear <laughs> on that. Uh, they're called the quids. And we all know what we all know what quid means in Latin because the Democrats have been all over the news of late to explain to us that quid pro quo means something for something. And uh, I was about to say I've never heard of this this alien (laughs) term. (laughs) Uh, That's what quid means, and it's actually short for um oh what's the what's the word what's the word it's short for uh. We pause while Eddie Googles. Uh, it means This is where we third. get to edit. Do we have Final Jeopardy music? Tertium. Tertium. Uh, tertium quids. That's what they're called. Tertium quids, which means a third something. And they're the first third party in the history of United States party politics up to this point. This is our very first third party, the tertium quids. Well, uh, I think there's a problem when you can't fit your name on the front side of a campaign sign. When the campaign sign has a little arrow at the bottom that says, over, please. (laughs) Do they even run any candidate from the TQ party, or is it just in name only? Do we have a quid candidate for president? Is that what you're asking me? Do we have a quid pro candidate at this point? We do. We have we have a quid running for the presidency. And he's something of a hero on this show. James Monroe is going to be the quid there you candidate. Go. No, too soon, James. Too soon. You're about eight years too soon. Uh, Madison is going to wind up being 
eternally thankful for James Monroe. Uh, basically, during the War of 1812, Madison will hand over almost all the presidential war powers to the smartest guy on his cabinet, the Secretary of War, and the Secretary of State, James Monroe. Ah. Uh. But he doesn't fare well in the election. But he's the quid candidate, and you can think of the quids as the Freedom Caucus. Okay? They're, what okay. would scare me is if they divide the vote and then a Federalist is elected somehow. Uh, you would think. There's also another Democratic-Republican who is going to uh, run for the presidency, and that's going to get very interesting. Uh, it's actually kind of hard to explain. So the official uh, caucus, they choose James Monroe, and as his running mate, they choose George Clinton, who's already vice president of the United States under Jefferson. Interesting. So they're going to choose him to be on the ticket and to be vice president again. Do we know why George Clinton was never a candidate for president? Yeah, um, I can't answer that because of what I'm going to say next. Okay, I'll play along. The answer to it is uh, convoluted as hell. And so, we've all been drinking. The, we, that's the Madison-Clinton ticket there. That's the official ticket of the party. And as you know, the quids, the national quids, there's, there's regional quids that are a totally different thing. But these are the national quids. They choose as their candidate, James Monroe. Now, Clinton, who is Madison's running mate, who you just asked me, uh, why didn't he run for president? Well, he decides, he had the same question. He says, hey, why didn't I run for president? So he launches his own campaign for president. So he is on the official party ticket as the vice presidential candidate and launching his own third party, well, not really third party, but his own independent run for the presidency. Interesting. We've talked about this several times, but we think the election time is crazy now and things are insane. Nothing's really changed since back in the very beginning. It's crazy. And everybody goes crazy from the very beginning. People from the very beginning, love presidential elections, and they hate them. So what happens after everyone's nominated in? Where do we go from there? All right, so, uh, I mean, you could imagine if, like, during the 2016 election, you have Mike Pence, and he's the party choice for the vice presidential candidate, right? And if Mike Pence had just decided, you know what, I'd make a better president than Trump, I'm also going to run for president of the United States. Can you imagine how confusing that would be? Very. And lump into that that he's the current vice president of the United States. I don't think anyone really wants to run against Trump right now in the Republican Party. Yeah, well, I mean, some people do, but they aren't faring very well. You barely know they exist. Oh, I don't mean those people. I mean if... For some reason, Pence decided to run. Trump would suddenly say he's the biggest idiot on the planet. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Clinton is an interesting candidate because whereas Monroe is running because um, Madison and Jefferson are not Democratic-Republican enough, Clinton is running because of the embargo. He's going to bring a lot of Federalists on board. I mean, I guess that's good and bad for the Federalists because he's probably taking votes from a Federalist candidate too, right? Yes, that, that is correct. But here's the thing to know about the Federalists, which ties into what you just said, which is really interesting. Something new happens in the election of 1808 that has never happened before in presidential election history. All right. We have the very first nominating convention. Nice. Oh. Yes. And it's kept entirely secret. Well, that sounds very democratic, like the DNC. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, they think they think that it's something that looks sketchy because, like, look, a party is over here choosing who should be president. But actually, it's really weird that they feel that way because actually the caucus, the congressional caucus is choosing presidential candidates is a total abomination. Like, it is anathema yeah. to the Constitution. Yes, that's worse. Yes. Oh, yeah. A million times worse. Like, you can't yeah. have Congress choosing the president. Then you could go and you could make promises. Hey, guys, if y'all want that done, choose me to be the presidential candidate, and then I'll get it. I mean, there's no end to the sort of corruption that could exist. I mean, it's it's a complete violation of the separation of powers. The states yeah. need to choose the president. Yes. So we have this nominating convention, which is kind of informal, but they do have a legit convention. They try to keep it all secret. A little bit gets leaked of it, leaked to the papers. Uh, they have correspondence about it, which is how we know about it now because of their correspondence. But the thing that they talk about in this convention is like, look, Last presidential election, Pinckney won 14 votes. So here's the question. We are dead, kind of, as a national party. So should we nominate a candidate at all, or should we just back George Clinton? And that's the decision that they have to make, whether to even put a Federalist on the ballot or just to basically become Democratic Republican. You talk about a, a party falling to just complete obliviousness. I mean, I mean, they had they went from being having an elected president from their party to they barely have enough steam to make it up a hill. Yeah, they're a mess. And and I gave two reasons that they were dying out nationally, but I didn't give the third reason, which is a really important one because we got off track. But the third reason was because the Federalists achieved all of their goals. And so the, there is in many ways no need. The Federalists won what they wanted to achieve, which was uh, they wanted a strong national government. They achieved it. Yeah. And so their purpose is sort of waning the sun is setting on them yeah they became a party without a platform at that point there was no reason for them throughout history you'll see um parties that disappear but only because they're because they won and then there was no need for them anymore makes sense like i mean today we don't have an abolitionist party yeah or a bull moose party oh don't get him started do we not have a bull moose party? I think that I think that Trump is such a bull moose. I think that <laughs> I told you. Oh, well, we shouldn't get into that, but I do think that Trump is a, a total uh modern day version of Teddy Roosevelt, which we'll hear at some point. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and I mean it both in the good ways that you can be like Teddy Roosevelt and the bad ways that you can be like Teddy Roosevelt. Yes, agreed. Of course, I am wearing a bull moose shirt. Of course, you as are. As we do this show, I'm on my bull moose T-shirt. But uh, of course, you are. Love it. So, uh, at the Federalist Convention, they wind up choosing Pinckney and Rufus King again. Um, you know, ride that uh, X Y Z affair success as far as it'll go. But it looks like it looks so promising for the Federalist because we have three. Democratic Republican candidate. Surely that will split the vote and the Federalists will win. You would think so, yes. You would think so, but that is not what happens. Madison wins in a landslide. Even with the embargo, even with three Democratic Republicans running against one Federalist, it's another landslide. It's not as big as the 1804 landslide, but it is definitely. A landslide. Madison, 122 electoral votes. Pinckney, 47 electoral votes. Yeah, that's wow. a landslide. Not even close. Yeah, and and Pinckney's votes 
are almost are, are not almost that they're almost all from New England where the embargo has done the most damage. Uh, George Clinton, six electoral votes in New York for president. For vice president, he won 113. So he becomes Madison's vice president, and that is uh, somewhat awkward. I would say. Yeah, probably a little less awkward than Adams and Jefferson, but still definitely awkward. Right, right, right. Uh, And, of course, the reason that Madison was able to accomplish all this, uh, best lobbyist that you could possibly have, and American hero on his side, Dolly Madison. Do people even like Madison himself, or is this all about liking Dolly at this point? Oh, my gosh. No, (laughs) I love... I love James Madison, but he's not. James Madison is about five feet, four inches tall. He very much, from the time that he's young, resembles the Crypt Keeper. Okay, he was like born 80 years old. Uh, He has, he has, he never has like a real job in his life. Uh, He has anxiety attacks constantly. Everything causes him anxiety. He's sounding more and more like Bernie Sanders to me. Oh, well, um, in terms of ideology, I would not put him in the same planet as Bernie Sanders. No, I'm talking strictly appearance. Okay. <laughs> Little old Apple John. I'm so confused how he landed a gal like Dolly with all you've said. You know, I I don't know exactly everything that happened there, but I can tell you um, Dolly went from having a family and a husband supporting her to having no family in zero seconds flat. Mm. Yeah, it had to be a little transactional at that point. Well... I would presume that uh, there was something like that. But I don't know. There's some paintings of James Madison He, where he looks like, like he's probably a pretty um, decent-looking guy. And, oh, yeah, I mean, he's a genius, if that, if that helps at all. Uh, he's, yeah, because women always go for brains over looks. That always happens. Well, hey, our wives. Well, yeah, we're clearly the exception to the rule. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, maybe he was hilarious. Yeah, probably not. He was probably not hilarious. Did Jefferson support him, by the way, when he ran for president, or who did he support? Oh, yeah, Jefferson definitely uh, supported Madison. You didn't have a situation where Madison was out there saying, um, I asked Jefferson not to endorse me. <laughs> Because I want to do it on my own. There was nothing like that happening. Yeah, there was no Joe Biden situation going on. Yeah, I think Joe Biden would have really liked Dolly Madison. You'd have sniffed her hair. You know it. I'll go ahead and say that um, by by the next election, four years away, 1812, when Madison is running for re-election, Washington, D.C. and the White House will be smoldering embers burned to the ground so this is when the british have burned the white house right that's yep that's exactly right that's where we're on our way to that's the war of 1812 and a hero will emerge from the war of 1812 a general general andrew jackson a tennessean by the way yep i feel like there's something missing oh there's a lot missing the election of 1808 well, think about it. We talked about Oh Grab Me. We talked about the embargo. We talked about the Non-Importation Act. We talked about the quids. I just don't want there to be something on the test that our listeners don't know the answer to. Absolutely. They got to pass the test. And the death of the Federalists was one. I mean, they almost supported a Democratic Republican instead of their own candidate. Yeah, that's crazy. So how long does this Madison guy hang around in the White House? Give us a teaser for the next election. Okay, Madison, uh, next election, I mean, I already said the, by the next election, the White House and Washington, D.C. will be in embers. 
burnt to the ground. I think that's a pretty good teaser. It is. So uh, he's going. Thanks to, for slapping my hand again. He's going to hand over. Um, he's going to hand over presidential powers, like almost all of the emergency powers, over to James Monroe, uh, who. It should be better remembered in history. It's a total travesty that James Monroe is not better remembered by history. And we're going to hear about that. And so does Madison serve two terms or does something happen to make him not do that? Oh, no, two terms. He's going to be, okay, he's going to be reelected very nicely next time because people are going to rally around the flag. The War of 1812 is when people go from feeling or from considering themselves Virginians, New Yorkers. The War of 1812 is the point where people start to consider themselves Americans instead of Virginians or New Yorkers. And for the first time in history, Lee Greenwood moves to the front of his seat. That's right. All right, what else we got on the election of 1808, the first term of James Madison? I think that's it. That, that's everything I got on the election of 1808. How were your beers? Uh, my beer is half gone. Uh, in fairness, it was a tall boy, so I did drink a lot of it. Uh, it was not a bad beer. It wasn't near as good as the Napoleon Complex that I had last time, but still a good beer. Scott, how is your Budweiser? Uh, it's exactly what you would expect from Budweiser. About halfway through the six, the twenty, the twenty ounce beer, it was ice cold with a good draw. About halfway through, it started taking tasted like horse piss. Still finished it. <laughs> the king of beers. You know, it actually comes from those Clydesdales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for joining us today on Every Election Ever and Beer. If you haven't liked us or subscribed please do so today you can find us also on social media how do they find us on social media by the way well they can go to twitter and find us at election and beer they can also find us on facebook at election and beer subscribe there follow us like us also go to itunes any other podcast app that you use and rate us please so when we return next week for every election ever in beer, it will be for, it will be for the election of 1812 when America finally gets its legs under itself and becomes a damn nation. Damn nation. Come back, please, for the next episode. We'll do it again soon, guys. Thanks for joining us.